0: Welcome back. This is episode four of the Tank Me Later podcast, and I'm really excited about this episode today because I got a fantasy legend to join me for this one. Not just fantasy basketball, but fantasy in general. Dr. A, Steve Alexander. uh, He's been in the fantasy game for almost 25 years, which is pretty incredible to say. Um, Got him. We did get to talk about Dallas, Toronto, and New Orleans a bit, uh, specifically Luca, of course. Got to get Steve on to talk about Luca, but we also got to talk about his journey um, from being a teenager chasing NBA players around, uh, to how he got his start in fantasy, to his work over the years, to what he's doing now. We even got a never-before-told story from him that has to do with Dominique Wilkins, which was, I just found myself just in awe just listening to the stories he was telling, which was super fun. Um, So really excited to share this episode, and Here it is, Dr. A, for episode four of the Tank Me Later podcast. All right, welcome to episode four of the Tank Me Later podcast. I'm Noah Rubin, your host once again. And today I'm joined by the OG of fantasy basketball, uh, one of the best in the game, if you will. Uh, Doctor A, Steve Alexander. Steve, how are you doing today?
1: No, I'm doing well. Uh, lots of daytime baseball on today. Um, you know, I currently uh, I'm in between positions. I'm we're doing some work for ESPN and RotoWire, but in the summertime and when the playoffs start in the NBA, the fantasy basketball season basically dies. And uh, so I'm used to not being very busy at this time of year, but now I'm like extremely not busy. And I'm, I am uh, I found out that I've got the Major League Baseball, I don't even know what it's called because I've, I've never bought it before. But I've got the basically the, the season ticket of baseball on my DirecTV. So I have access to every extra innings, I think it's called. I have access to every baseball game. And today is getaway day. Uh, everybody's playing, uh, in the daylight sunshine today. So I'm pretty psyched to just sit around and watch baseball all day.
0: Yeah. Well, I appreciate you taking a little bit of time to kind of venture back into basketball, even if it's the off season for you. And usually I kind of start with asking how people got into, you know, fantasy basketball. And I, I am wanting to hear that from you as well, but you also have the most legendary stories in, at least in fantasy basketball, Arguably, we can just widen that a lot. Uh, but if you can, just kind of start with how you got into writing about fantasy.
1: Um, well, uh, my stories, of which I have, like, uh, I've, I've probably got um, 200 topics written down in a, in a Word document somewhere uh, of just topics of some of the insane stuff It's happened to me over the years. A lot of it has to do with the NBA. A lot of it had to do with when I was a kid uh, because my buddy and I used to hang out at the Hyatt in Indianapolis. And when the players had come off the elevator, you know, in 1983, there was no security. No one really cared. I think I'm guessing in 1983, the Pacers probably averaged about 4,000 fans per game. Uh, so there was nobody at the games. I could buy a, a kid ticket for half price for five bucks and we would go sit down towards the front and I would interact with the players at the Hyatt, um, started off just taking a piece of paper down there and having a, 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 a team sign a piece of paper, which I've still got all those, uh, in a drawer over there. And then it, it escalated to, to photographs and Sports Illustrated covers and then one day I saw a kid walking around the arena with a huge pair of basketball shoes. I was like, dude, what are those? He said, he said they're Steve Stepanovich's shoes. And he was a center for the Pacers back then and famously shot himself in the leg when he was a student. when He played for Colorado, I believe. But uh, like, how'd you get Stepo's shoes? And Stepo actually is the guy uh, that the Pacers got when they lost the coin flip with Houston. Houston got Ralph Sampson. Uh, the Pacers got Steve Stepanovich. So this dude's got Stepo shoes. He's like a little eight-year-old kid. I'm probably like 14. Like, how, how'd you do that? And he's like, I just asked him. I was like, okay, <laughs> time out. So at that very same game, after the game, um, Ralph Sampson they were playing Houston that night and Ralph Sampson as he was leaving the arena threw his wristband into the crowd and I saw a kid get his wristband I'm like okay well I, I've got it I've got to get stuff um, now so so that became my mission in life uh, when I was a young lad was to, to get to bug NBA players to give me stuff and uh, I ended up with 35 pairs of shoes um, <laughs> All game worn, all, almost all of them signed. Uh, this is... I'm sure people have seen this before if they know who I am because I, I always yeah. do stuff with it. But this is Dominique Wilkins' uh, One of His Shoes, which I got in 1985. Uh, the Dominique story is kind of an interesting one, which I don't know if I've ever really broken that one down. Do Do we have time for me to break that down real quick? Okay.
0: Of course we have time.
1: All right. So I've got... I found this in a box the other day. Let's see if I can do this without screwing it up. Uh, So I had a friend named Shelly in Indianapolis, and her dad was a NBA photographer, and he would take pictures of uh, players, and then he would provide the pictures to an artist who was pretty famous, if I don't remember his name, and this artist would paint uh, the player's picture he would he would paint this thing and then the and he had a store in the Hyatt so the players would come out of the elevator a lot of times go to this store and pick up their artwork that they were paying this guy to do and it so Shelly was this photographer's daughter and her dad's Rolodex was full of every NBA player's phone number basically and after I had been collecting shoes for a while and after I had bugged my hero Dominique Wilkins for his shoes uh, several times, and to no avail, I decided I needed to, to take things a step further in my um, pursuit, we'll call it, of, of Dominique's shoes. So I uh, I got to Shelly's house. And I'm like, hey, let's go to your um, dad's office. I, let's see if we can find Dominique Wilkins' phone number. And she's like, okay. <laughs> we did it, and I wrote it down, and I took it home. So I found this piece of paper the other day, No. And I don't know if you can see this or not, but these are some of my friends' phone numbers from high school. And you see right there it <laughs> the says <Deek>. 404-766. <laughs> and the rest of it is here. And like, I can't believe I found I found this in a box about a year ago when Strap and I were thinking about um, doing the Dominique story. Did you our- Did you
0: see if, did you see if the number still works?
1: I haven't done that yet. And we, we may do that today. We may save it for another episode. (laughs) I'm kind of scared to call it because, you know, friends with Bob Rathman and Rathman has sort of told Dominique the story, but I'm not sure Dominique fully grasps what happened, but here's what happened. Here's the story. So I, uh, my family, my mom and my bro and my sister were going to uh, Florida for spring break. We were going to stop in Atlanta stay with a family friend for the night. And we were going to go see the Knicks play the Hawks uh, on like March 21st or something. And uh, so I get this idea that I'm going to call Dominique and set this all up ahead of time so that there's no way he can't give me his shoes. Right. Like he has to, he has to do it. Of course. And of course he's going to answer the phone when I call. I mean, why wouldn't he? Um, So, Dude, I'm sitting there, and I'm I just, like, the time to call Dominique has arrived. And I, I don't know what determined that, but it's probably as soon as I got home with that freaking phone number, I probably like I got to call Dominique. So I remember being super nervous and like getting all jacked up. I'm like sitting on my waterbed, you know, we had the <laughs> land, landline rotary phone, and I start dialing four zero four seven six six blah 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 blah, and uh, the phone rings. And I'm sitting there, and it rings like three times, and this voice goes, hello? And I said, hey, is uh, is this Dominique? And he goes, yes. I said, hey, this is Steve, the kid in Indy that's always bugging you for your shoes. And you gave me your wristband one time, and I always have you sign stuff. I'm like, do you know who I am? He goes, yes. I said, uh, well, hey, man, we're coming, to, we're coming to Atlanta. And he goes, hey, Steve. I go, yeah, he goes. Hey, can you call me back in about fifteen minutes I'm on the I'm on the other line with my mom and I'm like, okay <laughs> <laughs> so I hang out the phone I'm like, oh my god I just I just called Dominic Wilkins talk to him so anyway that was pretty weird uh calling back ten minutes later he answers the phone again I can't believe he answered. like I would not have answered the second time this kid was calling. He's like, what were you saying? I was like we're gonna be in. In Atlanta on April, March, whatever, and, and uh, I was hoping I could get your shoes that day. And he goes, yeah, I don't see why not. He goes, um, I'll tell you what. He goes, we park in the third floor parking garage. He's like, be there at like 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock. I don't remember the time. Just hang out in the parking garage uh, by the elevators, and you'll see all the me and all the guys coming in, and we'll, we'll hook it up then. And I was like, okay, uh, thanks, man. That was it. Hung up the phone. This is like <laughs> a this is probably like in February when I called him, probably a month and a half, two months before we're going. I don't even know. Um, we, we drive to Atlanta, we spend the night at our friend's house. My mom and this dude dropped me off uh, at the Omni in 1985 by myself. I uh, have no idea what I'm doing. I somehow end up in the third floor parking garage. Here comes Randy Whitman. Here comes Doc Rivers. Here comes Danny Roundfield. Tree Rollins comes through. I remember Tree Rollins is seven feet tall, and I, I think his wife must have been like five feet, it's like four, <laughs> four and a half feet tall because she looked, she was so much smaller than I was. I, I just remember that being a, a crazy uh, visual for me. But eventually this Mercedes Benz pulls up Dominique Wilkins gets out of it I've got like my arms full of crap for him to sign you know I'm like hey man uh I'm like did you are, are we gonna do this he's like yeah dude he's like I got the shoes in my trunk he's like tell you what he's like I I got one pair I've been wearing for the dunk contest and then I've got the leather ones to say Dominique and the the um uh, the nylon ones, I've got a pair of those uh, from Isaiah Thomas. And I forget what they were called, but they were, like, nylon. They weren't really leather, and they were super light. And he felt like – I think he felt like he, he'd get another inch or two off the air with those on. So, he opens his trunk and shows me these two pairs of shoes. I'm like, dude, I want the leather ones with your with your name on them for sure. Like, he's like, all right, those that's what I'm wearing tonight. And he signed some stuff, and I was like, how do I, how do I get them after the game, Nick? And he's like – uh just wait under the the home locker room basket. He's like, there'll be a bunch of people down there waiting. And uh, you just wait with all them. Don't let security kick you out. And uh, I'll I'll come out and give them to you. Dude, after the game, I stood down there, waited. Me and my mom and my brother stood down there and waited. And he came out and walked through this throng of people and hands me these shoes and signs them. And then to get to our car, we had to go uh, walk through the underground Atlanta, which was a shopping center back in the day. And I've got it's like a scene out of a movie. I've got a hundred people following me, and I've got these shoes like in my coat. And I was I was scared that I was going to get uh, jacked for my shoes, but uh, and that's the Dominique story. And I, I I I've met Dominique a time or two since then at Hawks games. I've gone up to him and talked to him, and I'm like, "Hey, Dominic, do you remember me? You gave me your shoes when I was a kid." And He's like, "No, nah, man." He's like, "That a long time ago. I don't remember that." And it's like he almost <laughs> wants to to think about it. I don't think he. I don't think he knows. I think he knew if it was Steve from Indiana that called him, he he would be like, "Dude, how did you get my phone number?" <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> That's nuts. I bet. Well, actually, I'll ask was walking through underground Atlanta with these shoes tucked under your jacket, everybody following you. Was that, you know, top five most feeling like a celebrity moments in your life? Like, did you feel like an absolute, no?
1: No, I felt like I was going to get killed. I, I was scared. <laughs> gotcha. I, literally, so it wasn't- I literally was scared. I was, I didn't think I was, I, I couldn't even really process everything that had happened until we were in the car and like, rolling down the road and, and, uh, it was all good because it was literally people like, oh man, he's got Dominique's shoes. Let's go. And like, oh my God, it was, it was pretty crazy. But, um, yeah, the, the, um, the rock star moment feeling. Yeah. When I got in the car and I'm like, oh yeah. man, I got Dominique Wilkins shoes. And he was, he's <laughs> like my all time favorite athlete, not only basketball player, but probably my favorite, uh you know, person, celebrity, whatever athlete, um, ever. So yeah, that was a, that was pretty, that was a pretty amazing thing. And then the first pair of shoes I ever got was from a player named Lorenzo Romar. And I'm not going to tell this whole story, but he gave me his shoes. Uh, that was the first pair I ever got. Like that was the first player that ever said, yeah, man, I'll, I'll, I'll give you my shoes. And I remember when I got his, I just felt like I had just conquered the world. Like I've got a pair of game-worn player shoes that uh, he gave to me. Now, the crazy thing is, is I had access to, to Michael Jordan back then. And I asked Michael Jordan for his shoes at least four times. And that little kid that had Stepo's shoes, he had Jordan. He got Jordans. He got Dominique's. He got Dr. J. He got Magic Johnson. Um, and I he he, I wanted Dr. J, magic Johnson, and uh, Jordan, but I never, I didn't get any of those. And I tried it with all of them. Dr. J was the closest I came. Dr. J was snuck out of Market Square Arena through the basement, and I had heard like Dr. J's t- taking the back way to the bus or something. I Running down these stairs, go through this tunnel. We're literally outside at like one o'clock in the morning, underneath Market Square Arena, under this bridge. It's just me and Dr. J. It's like a scene out of The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh, which is a movie he was in. Which you probably have you seen Fish That Saved Pittsburgh? No, I don't think I have. I don't even. I haven't heard of it before. So yeah, yeah, because you're you're not a million years old, but The Fish (laughs) That Saved Pittsburgh is. One of the greatest, if not the greatest basketball movie ever made. I think the Will Ferrell thing a couple years ago, the the tropic the tropics may have <laughs> popped in. The Fish to Save Pittsburgh has a bunch of Harlem Globetrotters in it. It has Dr. J. It is amazing. And I, I need you to go watch that movie. But so anyway, Dr. J and I are like walking under the Market Square Arena bridge together at one o'clock in the morning. I'm a doc, man. And I can see his shoes, dude. He's got the same thing. He's. This is where this all started for Converse was Dr. J. He instead of Dominique here, it said, it said Dr. J, and they were red Converse just like these. And that that was why every player in the NBA was basically wearing those shoes was because of Dr. J. I can see them in the top of his bag, which is unzipped. He probably felt like I did walking through the underground, like this kid's gonna jack my shoes. Uh, <laughs> I was like, dude, I can see your shoes right there. Doc, can I please get them? He goes, Man, we played we played tomorrow night in New York. Like I I'm wearing them tomorrow night. If I wasn't wearing them tomorrow night, I get give them to you. If we were going home, I would give them to you, Thanks. but we're not. I was like, All right, man, thank you anyway, and walked away. And so that was that was uh that was pretty interesting having that interaction with Julius Serving. Uh but yeah, yeah, so I again I've got um you know, a million of those stories where they, they seem unbelievable to the point where even when I'm telling them, um, like this, the fact that I have this documented proof yeah. that I had Dominic's phone number one time, at least <laughs> helps me process that I really, that that really happened because sometimes I'm telling a story and I'm like, this, how can this possibly be true? Like I took Daryl Dawkins shoe shopping, which I've told that story a million times. Like, yeah, doesn't even seem possible especially in today's day and age like there's there's not kids out there taking trey young uh shopping or Mm -mm. calling him at home or whatever it just it's just weird yeah and you also were
0: close enough with dominique wilkins that you didn't write down on your little sheet dominique wilkins you wrote Neek. so you guys were not only on first name basis but you guys were close enough that you were just calling him by his nickname so that's that's something right there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. That, that's a good touch. Good point. Yeah. But you've mentioned, I think,
0: I like to think that I'm pretty knowledgeable about basketball, but you've already mentioned two players that I haven't heard of and a basketball movie that I haven't heard of. Doc, what year did you start writing about fantasy basketball? <laughs>
1: uh, 1874. Uh, right around okay. the time uh, it was invented. Um, no, I. I So so I went through through my high school career collecting shoes, and then I left Indianapolis and went to college in Southern Indiana, the same place where Woody Harrelson went to college, Hanover. And uh, I was there for four years, and I didn't mess with the Pacers or the NBA really while I was there. Um, So I, I kind of, my shoe collecting career and my autograph, all my collecting happened from like 83 to 86 then I went to college for four years. And I came back, then I came out and then I had, um, like two or three, three regular jobs, I guess you could say from 1990 to 2000, from 90 to 2000, I had, uh, three pretty regular steady jobs. And, uh, the last job I had was at a, uh, mutual fund company in Indianapolis. And right around the year 2000, um, I discovered Roto-World, me and my buddy John Dishinger found Roto-World, and we had already, already been playing fantasy sports, but I didn't re- really realize that there was this, um, there were options out there as to where you could get your information from, and I imagine at the time Roto-World probably, not many people knew about Roto-World. Matthew Barry was writing a column for them. At that time, Matthew Pouliot was running the whole show. He was doing news for all three sports 24-7. I don't really know how he did it. Um, So I got Matthew Pouliot's email address and started bugging him, saying, hey, dude, you know, I'm addicted to fantasy hoops anyway. Uh, That's all I do. Camla had a show on midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning, the fantasy show uh, that was live from like 1 to 1.30. I was watching that and then Pouliot was like, yeah, man, I guess, uh, I guess you can do, you can try Tuesday night, uh, write up Tuesday night's games. And this was all via email. And I said, um, what, what do you want me to do? He's like, just do what I do. I said, okay. And he's like, here's the link. Here's the login. Uh, good luck. And that was <laughs> it. That was literally all I got from him. He's like, I'll check out your work in the morning And send you an email and let you know how you did. Okay. So I'm sitting there. And uh, I I think I was supposed to write up like specific games. I don't think I had every game. And I think he gave me like two games to do. No direction. So I sat there. And I remember the first game I ever wrote up was the Dallas Mavericks. And I wrote something like Dirk Nowitzki went off for 19 points, seven rebounds, four assists, a three-pointer, And uh, that was one of the blurbs I wrote up. And then the other ones I don't remember. So the next morning I get an email from Pouliot. He's like, I have no idea why you wrote that Dirk Nowitzki blurb. That's what he does every night. Like there was nothing newsworthy about that. He's like, I did like what you did here. I didn't like what you did here. Do it again uh, tonight or whatever. Write up this game. And I wrote up another one and I, I took his, you know, I, I understood like, okay, I'm supposed to be writing about news here. I don't, I don't need to just rehash what people already know. And I started doing it and he's like, yeah, dude, you're good. He's like, here you're, 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 our, you're my Tuesday night guy from now on. And there was no money involved. I was doing this for free. Um, so I did that for a while and then I, I got another night added and then, uh, Rick Wolf legend in the industry. Um, contacted me and said hey man would you want to write the Roto world nba draft guide we're gonna do an nba draft guide i believe it might have been the first one ever wow i'm like yeah he's like i'll pay a thousand dollars i was like oh my oh my god yeah. this is crazy and uh so i remember i my buddy john uh, my neighbor john came over and he he had a magazine out, and I had stats everywhere, and we just started writing up players and cranking out numbers. And uh I wrote a draft guide with zero uh, – really, again, I really didn't have a lot to go on. I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't have a good example of what I was supposed to be doing. I wrote this thing up. Rick gave me a $1,000, and they used it. <clears throat> and then the following year, I don't think anyone – like I, I was employee number 10 at Roto-World, right? Um, so there were nine other people in front of me. Mm-hmm. I don't think any of those nine people knew that I actually worked for Roto-World because the next <laughs> season rolled around and, and <clears throat> I didn't really hear anything from Pooley I didn't hear anything from Rick Wolf. And I, I remember I, I sent an email to Rick Wolf. I was like, Hey man, what, what's up with uh my schedule for this, this new season? He's like, I don't have you on the schedule and I was like no I should be on the schedule I wrote the draft guide I, I did all this work last year kind of like begged him to to not forget about me and he he didn't they ended up you know f- fixing that glitch or whatever it was I don't think it was on purpose uh and I was back in back in the mix and af- after that I was in for good and um so that was probably 2000, 2001, 2002, somewhere in there. So 20, 21 years ago, somewhere. Uh, and then, so I did that and I started writing a Ask Dr. A column uh, back in the day. And um, that was just basically mailbag. People would send me emails and I would answer them. And it, I, Matthew Pugliot's nickname was Talented Mr. Roto. Or Matthew Barry's nickname was Talented Mr. Roto. Thought I had to have a cool nickname, so... Uh, my buddy Keelan started calling me Dr. A instead of Dr. J and it just, that's what I named the column. That's sort of what, what stuck. Um, and of course that's when I set up an email account for the first time, I think. And I (laughs) I called it D O C K T O R A because without the K in there was already, already taken. And, uh, that's, that's how the legend was, was born, I guess you could say. So, um, in 2004, we quit our jobs because my fantasy riding with Roto World was sort of going somewhere, but I was still not making any. I mean, I was making maybe a hundred bucks a week, something like that. Uh, but I had enough. I was excited enough about it that I thought I might be able to make it work. So, and we were just tired of office space, cube world, you know. And so my wife and I quit our jobs. We moved to the mountains. I called my, my boys at Roto World. And I actually had boys then, like Greg Rosenthal in particular. And um, he's now, he works for NFL.com. He's a football writer. But Rosie, uh, I called him and I was like, dude, I I quit my job. I've got all the time in the world to do whatever you guys need me to do. And he's like, how do you feel about Arena League football? I was like, give it to me. He's like, how do you feel about golf? I'm like, let's go. (laughs) <laughs> He's like, of course, basketball. So, so immediately I started riding like 40 hours a week for the for, for Roto World. And, uh, I think I was getting paid like 10 bucks an hour. So it, it really, I still wasn't making any money, but, um, but I was in and I just kept my head down from 2004 to 2006. I kind of became the guy. Um, I was kind of in charge of fancy basketball content at that point. Um, I stopped doing the arena league football and I, I really was just focused on basketball and then in 2006 nbc sports bought World, and uh, then everything changed I, I basically um negotiated a salary with them uh it became a full-time job with benefits and a salary and i was get, making real money and um just turned everything around and basically you know three or four years Two years after I quit my real job, I was right back um, where I was. So everything just kind of fell into place at that time. And it was awesome. And I loved it. And uh, I still miss it uh, right now. I love NBC. Yeah. yeah.
0: And not to try and date you too much, but just so you know, if you started in 2000, <laughs> 2001. Just, I was born in 2000. So if that says anything, I don't mean to make you feel old, but
1: no, I think think we I think think I've already I think I've already done a pretty good job of dating myself (laughs) in this in this conversation. Uh clearly I'm naming basketball players you've never heard of (laughs) and movies that you've never heard of. And I was working in the industry before you were born. So yeah. Right. (laughs) Well we can talk about
0: some younger guys, some guys that are playing in the NBA today and we'll start with Dallas uh, Kind of looking at some individual players, (laughs) because I know I wanted to get Luca's biggest fan on to be able to talk about him and where kind of the direction of the team is going after they pulled the plug, didn't end up even making the play in, despite trading for Kyrie. Doc, are they bouncing back? Are they making moves this summer? Like, how do things look for them?
1: That that is a that's a big there's a lot to unpack there, Noah. (laughs) First of all, they didn't make the play-in because they intentionally tanked to miss the play-in. Um, because they would have had to possibly give their draft pick to the Knicks that is part what was part of the Chris Stapps Porzingis deal, right? So so they got fined seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars for that move. Um, they signed Kyrie Irving, they rented Kyrie Irving uh, in a hope that he would inspire the team and bring greatness to the team, and they would go on this run through the West and and easily make the playoffs and and actually have a shot at winning a title. I think Mark Cuban looked at the team he has, which is basically Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic, and he's like, this team's not going to win a title. I'm not given. New York, my draft pick, if I don't have to. I think that's that's pretty much what happened. And now, you know, Lucas says he's happy, right? Oh, I'm I'm good with the Mavericks. Everything is fine. Everything's fine. Don't worry about me. Um, Kyrie says he wants to stay with the Mavericks. Um, but that roster is just it's Luca and it's Kyrie and it's a bunch of guys that it would be minimal role players with almost any other team that they were on Reggie Bullock, three point specialist, Josh green, good young player. I love Josh green. I think Josh green is actually a, yeah. a key to, to their future. Tim Hardaway. I mean, how old is Tim Hardaway? He's 31. Uh, so he's been around for a minute. He's been everywhere. He's been around the block. Um, just a bunch of guys that are just not going to win a title with Christian Wood. Um I think I am guilty of overhyping him over the years. I think he's been overhyped for a reason like one of those um good players on a bad team thing where he's he's going to be the star because he's the only one that that can be. Uh, I think he's kind of lucked into a couple of those situations. I think Christian Wood's a good player. He's a good, solid role player. He's not a big yeah. defensive guy. That Mavericks need defense more than anything. Uh, their defense is non-existent. It's horrific. But before they can worry about defense, before they can worry about Kyrie Irving, before they can worry about rebuilding this roster, they, they got to make sure Luca's happy because if Luca gets up and walks and goes elsewhere um the franchise is going to have a really hard time rec- ever recovering from that i think um i as a hawks fan and as a luca fan i still haven't recovered from the hawks <laughs> drafting luca and then trading him to the mavericks for trey young i'm gonna try not to talk about that though because i don't want to get too upset but you know i don't know man uh they obviously have to make like three huge moves this summer. And I don't know, I don't know what's out there for them to really go do. Yeah. Well, if we we can
0: look at some individual players, cause I think, I mean, we're both kind of on the same page about the team outlook, not being great. Like you're kind of going to be stuck in the middle because let's face it, Luca's too good for them to be consistently in the lottery, but it doesn't seem like they have enough assets to really make a big move. Uh, to kind of vault themselves into contention unless they hit on a few picks, get lucky with some guys panning out, who knows. But if we look at Luca, he was, according to Basketball Monster, 16th in nine cat leagues this season, mostly just because he turns the ball over and can't hit a free throw. And those are the two setbacks for him. Is he ever going to be as good at shooting free throws as he is at hitting step backs? What do you
1: think? <laughs> uh, well, that's something that Matt Straub and I debated for years. There's been many a bet that uh, <laughs> lost and won on Luka Doncic's free throw shooting. And it's funny, um, this year with the way things went with NBC and all that, I didn't really pay attention to Luka's free throw shooting. So pull it up. It's 74.2. Last year, it was 74.4. The year before that, it was 73. Then it was 76, and it was 71. Consistent, if nothing else. He's a (laughs) 73.9% free throw shooter for his career. He was 74.2 this year. So it is what it is. Um, I'm not going to let his free throw shooting or his turnovers bother me because – a 74% free throw shooter is not the same as a 52% free throw shooter. 52% free throw shooter will wreck your entire team. There's no way to fix it, uh, especially a guy like Shaq or uh, some of these big Giannis. guys that <laughs> shoot a lot of free throws. Giannis. Um, you can't fix that. You can't work around that. With with Luca shooting 74%, if you build a team around him with good free throw shooters – and you're playing in a head-to-head league, you're, you're going to win free throws half the time probably. Uh, you're going to lose half the time. You're not going to dominate anybody in free throws, but you're not going to get dominated. So I, I honestly could not care less uh, about Lucas' free throw shooting as long as it's hovering around 75%. It is frustrating, though, Noah, though, because I always – like the first year I thought it was a fluke, 71.3, i like that. He's better than that. Just watch him shoot free throws. He's a, he looks good shooting free throws. Um, the next year he's like 75.8. I'm like, here we go. 80's coming. Like he's gonna get up to 80. And I, I don't know I don't know if it's that he doesn't work on free throw shooting. In some games he'll hit 13 out of 13. You know, I don't I don't know I don't know if he doesn't care about free throws as much as he does the rest of his game. I don't know if he hasn't had you know, he's been so busy playing basketball for the last five years of his life. He really hasn't had mm-hmm. time to do anything in the offseason. And I think, you know, if I was Luca, I would probably be sitting by the pool drinking mint juleps um, <laughs> as often as I could in my offseason and not really out in the driveway at 100 degree heat uh, pumping up 100 free throws an hour or whatever. So I'm not mad at him for a free throw. Too. I don't think it's I don't really think it's. At this point, I mean we're five years in. I doubt it's going to get better. We've seen a couple guys turn their free throw shooting around late in their career, but it's pretty rare that it happens. Um, But if he ever does take a summer and dedicates himself to becoming a better free throw shooter, there's no doubt in my mind he could shoot 89%. Yeah.
0: Well, even with the poor free throw shooting, if you look at it with a free throw punt and even a turnover punt, he's number three in basketball monster uh in nine cat belly or i guess that'd be seven cat belly technically uh if you take out the free throws and turnovers so he dominates everywhere else so it's if you can deal with those two and like you said the free throw percentage isn't necessarily killing you um but there isn't a ton of other guys to really look at in dynasty leagues or really even one-year leagues in dallas i mean the main other guy would be kyrie i mean you've we've You said, you know, he said he's going to stay. We'll see what happens. He's said a lot throughout his career and then done (laughs) something else. Um, But I think if he sticks around, he's going to continue to put up numbers. I don't think there's – wherever he ends up, as long as he's on the court, he's going to put up numbers. The bigger question is, is he going to be on the court? Um, So I guess the other guy in Dallas that has some upside that got a chance to show it a couple times this season is Jaden Hardy. Mm -hmm. Uh, I got a couple times like when Luca and Kyrie were out to kind of be the focal point of the offense. I think he's a really fluid scorer. He has a lot of upside. Is he going to like kind of reach that playing alongside Luca when he won't have the ball in his hands as much? Maybe not to the extent, but what do you, what do you kind of see the next few years looking like for
1: him? It's interesting because the only times we've really seen him do anything is when Luca's not playing, Right. Uh, but there is a guy named Jalen Brunson who played alongside Luca and and actually put up really good numbers next to Luca. And man, does Luca miss Jalen Brunson or what? <laughs> he he misses Jalen Brunson so much. And Jalen Brunson went to New York and went nuts. Like I think we all thought he would because he's such a good player. I think Jaden Hardy's got some of that in him. Um, I think for the Mavericks. Um, again, we got to see what they do because Jaden Hardy is an attractive piece that they could also move if they're going to try to make a big move. Um, But yeah, I think that, you know, two years from now, I think Jaden Hardy could be somebody we're drafting in the middle rounds of our draft um, and kind of treating like Jalen Brunson was treated when he was there, which was, you know, a mid-round fantasy player with some upside.
0: Yeah. And we mentioned a couple other guys, Christian Wood, Josh Green, uh, but not anybody with a ton of fantasy upside without an opportunity. Uh Jaden Hardy was the main guy, aside from Luca and Kyrie, that I wanted to talk about. Well, for Josh, the, the Josh Green's upside. only
1: Josh Green's only twenty-two. He is. And Josh Green, um the problem is these guys are all guards. Like they they need yeah. if Josh Green was a was a a forward even a, even a tweener. Like I, if he was a little, if he was a little bigger, um, I think he, he, he could be ready to take off this year, but if they're going to keep him in the backcourt, I, I don't think anybody's going to go off in the backcourt as long as Luca's there, especially if Kyrie's there too.
0: Yeah. They're soaking up most of the shots. So, um, but if we can look to another team we can go to the East now with Toronto Uh, Let's see, they have the 13th best lottery odds, finished exactly five hundred. They got upset in the first round of the play-in by Chicago. Um, That was an ugly game. Um, That was DeMar DeRozan's daughter taking over that game to (laughs) make the Raptors shoot 18 of 36 from the free throw line. They have some pieces, you know, what do they where do they go from here? I mean, they have Scotty Barnes, Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Bleet, OG Ananobi, a couple other guys, just really good players, but what it's not enough to really contend in the East per se. Uh, we'll look at Scotty Barnes first. You know, is he a guy that you could see them kind of shifting t- more towards the future and looking to him as their guy? Or do you think they maybe try and run it back? I mean, there's still the question of Nick Nurse. I think they have a lot of questions to kind of answer this summer doc how do you kind of see that unfolding
1: they do have a lot of answers uh, a lot of questions to answer and i haven't really broken down these guys contracts or looked at looked at who's expiring or who's leaving and, and stuff like that but just on a in a vacuum um the OGN anobi scotty Barnes. um Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet, that's a big four. Like, those are four really strong, good players. And I think they they should be better than they are. I think Nick Nurse has run his course in Toronto. Of course, I've been done with Nick Nurse for three years because of the way he treats my man, Chris Bosh slash Boucher. Um, (laughs) I wish Chris Boucher could play more. He had some big games down the stretch, as usual, like he always does. But, uh, I mean, I think you kind of build it around Barnes. And the other guys, I, I think we've seen what is going to happen here. Pascal Siakam's 29. Probably time to think about um, moving him and Van Vliet, trying to rebuild through the through the lottery pick they're going to get, build around Scottie Barnes and, and kind of make a couple – I mean – Think you've got good trade value in a couple of older dudes in Pascal Siakam and Fred VanVleet. They're both 29. So um, to me, it would make sense for them to kind of blow this up, look for a new coach, trade a couple of your, your big name, regular guys, and, and kind of rebuild it. Yeah.
0: And I guess, okay. So Scotty Barnes with him, if he's going to be kind of the focal point of the offense of the team, he was, 85th in nine cat leagues this season uh 66 as a rookie one rookie of the year i think i saw something about them trying to get him scoring more trying to work on his scoring upside the average 15.4 points per game this season uh from he got off to a really bad start from what i remember um and then i think it kind of evened out as the season went along do you see him getting to be kind of a 20 point per game scorer, or do you think he kind of caps it like 18 and then adds like eight rebounds, six assists, some defensive stats? Like where do you kind of see his stats filling out?
1: Well, it depends on who comes back. I think if, if Siakam's not there, I think Scotty Barnes is a 20 point score um, automatically. And his, his numbers aren't bad, man. Uh 49% shooting last year for almost 47 this year, decent free throw shooter, a little, little bit better than Luca, but not, a, not a lot um, <laughs> low turnovers, which is, which is fun. And and he's only, he's entering his third year in the league and third years, you know, when guys who end up being great, usually blossom. And I think Scotty Barnes is, is going to be a really good player. I, I, I think I'm, I'm high on Barnes coming in the next season either way. I like him coming into his third year. I think he is going to get close to that 20 this season and possibly possibly get over it.
0: Yeah. I'm really high on his upside as well. Um, I think I've, I've reached for him. I did reach for him in most of my drafts this past season that were just one-year leagues, and I have him in one of my dynasty leagues as well. Uh, another guy, Fred VanVleet, um, Pretty consistently. uh, I mean, the past three seasons, he's been a top 20 guy in nine cat leagues. But like you said, he's 29 now, future kind of uncertain in Toronto. Uh, But he's been, you know, despite shooting, pretty low percentage for somebody that is that good in category leagues. uh, The consistent assists, steals, and threes, I think, is kind of what boosts him. If he ends up somewhere else, like if they end up trading him to try and restart add in some more lottery talent do you do you see his value staying there or if he goes to more of a contending team uh, does his kind of shot volume decrease and his numbers kind of decrease because of that
1: i don't i, don't, I think his numbers are going to be pretty safe no matter where he goes just because he is a really good scorer um he needs the ball in his hands to be effective he's established himself as a big name and an offensive player over the last four seasons my thing with Freddie Van Vliet is like when people didn't know who he was and when he sort of, sort of came on the scene, you know, he played basketball, Wichita, Mm -hmm. nobody really knew who he was. He was very quiet his first three years in the NBA. Fourth year, he started to make some noise and people like, Oh, this Fred Van Vliet guy. So like in 2020, a lot of us were like, Oh, I'm getting Fred Van Vliet before he blows up. And he was fun um, when he was in that role, but now he's in the role where we all know what he is, and it's almost like we're reaching almost too far to 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 get what Fred Van v- VanVleet does. Like you said, the shooting percentage is not good, and it never never has been, probably never will be. And uh, he can tank. He can tank your team's field goal percentage pretty hard. So I think he's a little overvalued. I think his name is a little bit bigger um, than it probably needs to be in fantasy circles, but he's also a very good player. I I, I like Van Vliet. Yeah. So
0: the Raptors have plenty of questions to answer this summer. Head coach, potentially trades. I mean, they have a number of other young guys. Like you said, your guy Boucher could see some more minutes, you know, Precious Achua, uh, Scotty Barnes is probably the main guy. Uh, and then we can go to a third team back out to the West uh, look at the Pelicans who, or excuse me, we're going to stay in Toronto real quick.
1: Just for a second. The Chris Boucher thing makes me really sad because he's 30. He's 30 years old now. Sorry right? for calling him a young guy. <laughs> he's 30. And, like, it wasn't that long ago, obviously, that he was, like, 25. His birthday's in January. So he's going to be 31 just after Christmas, just after the season starts. Like, he he's – been sitting on the bench for nick nurse throughout his entire prime um i'm not gonna put chris boucher in the mike trout category of wasting away uh for nothing <laughs> but darn it i love chris boucher and he, i think chris boucher could have been a contender oh Okay, New Orleans Pelicans. What do we got?
0: (laughs) Well, I will hope that Nick Nurse moves on just for you so you can see Boucher get 25 minutes per game next season. Too late. Uh, late. (laughs) New Orleans just lost their first playing game as well. They were the nine seed. They still have the 14th best lottery odds, finished 42-40. and Doc, I got questions about Zion. You know, reports after – Playing losses, <laughs> perfect. This will this will go well. Uh, C.J. McCollum was playing through, I think, a shoulder injury, and then there was another injury, upper body, is, um, that he had been playing through for like the past seven games, past few weeks, and then there was reports saying that Zion's healthy. He just said he's not going to play until Zion feels like Zion again. Uh, obviously, the talent is there, especially. I mean, you see it in fantasy leagues. There's a couple limiting factors like. Threes and free throws, but he can average 27, 7 and 5 and shoot 60% or whatever. Um, but he doesn't feel like Zion. Do you think that Zion's gonna ever feel like Zion again?
1: I mean, I don't even know who Zion is. I mean, the Zion we know played 24 games, one season 61 games, another season 29 games, another season, and sat out an entire season on top of that. Like we should have known that there were going to be problems when he blew out that shoe in college. Like this <laughs> dude's big enough that he's blowing out an entire shoe and coming through it. Um, his, his body is not going to hold up. I, I, I straight up call Zion a bust at this point. Like I, I don't have hope for the future. Uh, I don't think he's ever going to play in more than – 50, 55 games in a season, if if we even see that. Um, I, I know that a lot of us, I, I don't think I was one of them, but a lot of people held on to hope that Ben Simmons was just going through a thing and he was going to get it turned around. Well, he didn't, and he's, he's never going to because he doesn't care. Uh, ben Simmons wanted to be the, the number one pick in the draft and get a huge paycheck, and he got it, and I don't think he's really cared since then. Uh, and I'm not saying Zion doesn't care. I think Zion's a totally different player, different uh, yeah. person than Ben Simmons is. But Zion weighs like 300 pounds. He hasn't been able to stay healthy at all. Now he's now he's pulling this. I'm going to play when I feel like Zion stuff. Well, you know for all I know, he hasn't felt like Zion since he was in seventh grade. (laughs) I I don't know. I don't know when we're going to see Zion, but I, I'm, I'm out. I am out of the Zion game. And I, I'm afraid, I mean, we're four years in man, four years in, he hasn't done anything to help fantasy managers uh, to help their teams. To me, that's, that's a bust.
0: Yeah. Now, I think we would agree that the talent is there, but it's more the availability. The other guy that has the talent that also has kind of struggled with availability, maybe not to the same extent that's Brandon Ingram. He played 46 games this season, uh, 55 the year prior, and then 61 and 62. If you keep going back, Um, has all the talent in the world as a scorer. I mean, we saw it in the play in in the last, also in the last few games of the regular season as they were making a push. Um, Is he a guy that, you know, he didn't say anything about, you know, his needing to feel like B.I. or anything like that. Uh, And we did see him perform well in the play-in tournament. Is he a guy that maybe next season, if he's able to stay healthy, uh, could see 60, 65 games? You know, is he going to kind of become the guy in New Orleans? I know Zion's probably still seen as the face of the franchise, but do you think Brandon Ingram can, can take over in that role?
1: You know, I don't know, man. I mean, the the games played issue for Brandon Ingram is is huge. It's like, he played seventy nine games his first season with the Lakers, and he has never played more than sixty two since then. Uh, he's he's missed at least twenty games every single year that he's been in the league, except the, his rookie season. So, um, and you know, I've I've had some toe issues throughout my. Uh, adult life Noah and there are there are times when I could I know I could not play basketball like if you got a bad toe or you got a bad heel or you got a bad foot like you have to run to play basketball and if you if you can't run you can't play and so I mean I part of me has some sympathy and some empathy for Brandon Ingram but then again he hasn't had a toe issue his whole year. He just plays 45, 55 games every single year for various different reasons. So, yeah, I don't – there are huge durability questions there. And uh, I don't know why he's going to turn it around now in the age of uh, load management and suddenly play 70 games this year. I just – I don't think – I don't think we'll see him play more than 60 games uh, going yeah. forward either. How How old is, is Brandon Ingram? Ooh, he is. He's only 25 years old. Yeah, he'll be 26 by the time the season starts. So I mean, there's time for him to turn around. But man, he got it. He needs. He needs a new uh, coach. He needs a new uh, personal trainer to uh, keep him on the court. Sounds
0: like they could use a couple of those in New Orleans. But <laughs> how some of the injuries have gone. But the guy who had played in 80 games this season was the best nine cat overall, like value asset was Trey Murphy, kind of exploded onto the scene after not doing much as a rookie. I think really benefited from some of the injuries and like the increased role, some big scoring games, some defensive stats. I mean, he just kind of does a bit of everything really well. You know, he's, I think, 45th this year. Is he a guy that can kind of stay in top 50 value? Do you see him kind of? progressing to maybe top 75 over the coming seasons assuming I guess I mean it's hard to bank on health in New Orleans but if he's not necessarily seeing the same offensive
1: role yeah I feel like he broke out well he had a mini breakout season this year I think the real thing is coming next year I remember um when he was in the dunk contest I, I wrote something like I was writing for another side at that time I wrote something like you know, it's never a good sign when a three-point specialist is, is in the dunk contest. Um, but he, he he's turned out to be a really good player, and he's another guy uh, that really shines when some of his teammates are out. And uh, I I think it seems like he gets along well with his teammates. It seems like they respect him. It seems like they understand that he's going to be a good player. I mean, I think we're going to see a full uh, Trey Williams breakout this coming season.
0: Yeah. There's a number of other young guys in New Orleans, uh, plenty of upside like Jose Alvarado or Jones, Dyson Daniels, some others, as well as some veterans, but we're kind of running short on time. So that's going to kind of be it for talking about New Orleans, but they do have more guys. I don't want to leave that part out, but doc, before we go, if anybody was interested in starting to either write about fantasy or do podcasting, any sort of content creation, I mean, we saw, I mean, you told us with your story about how you just kind of reached out and pestered people for whether it was shoes or for a job that worked out well for you. What would kind of be your advice to anybody that's interested in getting started?
1: Well, almost everybody that I've ever hired um, from Ryan Knaus to Mike Gallagher to, you know, Jonas, any, any of those guys, um, they usually found me, Aaron Bruski You know, they're like, they reach out to me and start to put it bluntly bugging me. Hey man, if you you ever have an opening or you ever need any help, I'm your guy. And and it helps if you say I'll do it for free and, um, you know, not putting, not putting pressure on people to try to like so many kids that get out of school today, I feel like, um, think they're going to go get a job and make a hundred thousand dollars right off the bat. And it is really, um, (laughs) especially in this industry, it certainly doesn't work that way. But in any industry, unless you're, you're a specialized doctor or nurse or something, it, it's just hard in today's climate. I mean, companies are laying people off. They're not necessarily like yeah. mass hiring people. It's sort of the opposite. So you can't really be as choosy as you want to be. The The key is to get your foot in the door. And that's that's my old thing. That's why I'm so excited about what I'm doing um, this off season, you know, this the last half of last season, I, I I got my foot in the door at ESPN. I got my foot in the door at roto I'm just trying to keep my head down, do the best job I can for those guys. Hopefully something comes out of it uh, full-time for me down the line, which is ironic that, you know, every podcast I do, everybody I talk to is like, oh, we're talking to the GOAT. Well, the GOAT is, <laughs> feels like a rookie again, like trying to, get, I'm trying to get, trying to work my way in over here, work my way in over here, just doing what I have to do to, to, to make things happen. And that's what you got to do. I mean, you gotta, you gotta be, you gotta make yourself invaluable to whoever you're working for. And then, so if you, if they, if you get a call, like, Hey, somebody called in sick, can you do this? You find a way to do it and you, and you do it well and you do it without asking questions. You just do it. And, uh, and, and that's, that's what it takes. And, and, don't, you know, I worked for free basically for two years and I had a, a real job at the time. And that's the cool thing about fantasy sports and being a fancy analyst. Um, you can have another job and also do this. So you don't have to rely on this as your sole income. So, but the, the key is keeping your head down, making yourself invaluable and, and working for free at the beginning improving yourself.
0: Yeah. Well, I think everybody that knows the legend of Doctor A is more than confident that you're going to land on your feet. But where can we kind of support and view your work? And you mentioned ESPN and RotoWire. Where else should we find your your work? I guess also on your Twitter. So,
1: yeah, that's it right now. The on Twitter. Um, ESPN. I'm doing daily notes through the playoffs for them, and then hopefully I do some draft guide work and some some season prep for them but we haven't really crossed that bridge yet and then uh, i think rotowire stuff will start up again i was writing two columns for them uh, this season hopefully keep that going next season
0: awesome well doc thanks for joining me this was episode four of the tank me later podcast and that's gonna do it so thanks for listening
1: thank